Sounds a bit loud, but if I get a bit excited, you'll all rush out. <laughs> the resurrection. We're going to talk about the resurrection. What can we say? Oh, amen. Amen. The resurrection. I'd like to start by looking at a number of gospel accounts. So I can, I'll read them, but if you want to turn to them, the first is Matthew 28, verses 1 to 7. But I'll just read it. English Standard Version. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay, for he is not here, he has risen. He is not here, he has risen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Look to another scripture, Mark 16 verses 1 to 6. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where, he lay, where they laid him. He is risen. He is not here. Hallelujah. He is risen. Amen. A third one. From, oh, go back one. How do we go back one? Luke 24. On the first day of the week, at early dawn, they were, went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Praise the Lord. He is alive.
praise the Lord, he is alive. You know, brothers and sisters, I really don't feel we've got the resurrection in our veins. We need it in our veins. Praise the Lord, he's alive. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. But then came the objections. He couldn't have risen. Of course he couldn't have risen because the scientists say he can't have risen. He can't rise from the dead. So there's been a number, a number of popular objections to the fact that Jesus didn't die and didn't rise. The first one is the swoon theory. Jesus wasn't dead. He just swooned. And then in the cool of the tomb, he recovered. Let's face it. Let's face it. He had been tortured by whipping to within an inch of his life. He had been made to carry as far as he possibly could his own cross. They had to get somebody else to finish carrying it. He had been nailed to a cross. And he hung there for several hours. He was confirmed as being dead by expert Roman executioners. But just to make sure, they thrust a spear into his side. Are we to believe, after all this, that he simply fainted, went into the tomb, a couple of days later woke up, shoved a stone aside and walked out? It's absolutely ridiculous. It really is ridiculous. Because he's not there, he's risen, he's alive. Hallelujah. The swoon theory, I think we can send to the moon. The second one. The disciples stole the body of Jesus. A little bit more credible. The disciples stole the body of Jesus. But when you read the scriptures, the authorities anticipated that. And in fact, the religious rulers went to the Romans and said, you know, you need to put a guard on that tomb. So they put four Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. So the first thing we've got, in anticipation of the body being stolen, are Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. And then you look just a few days down the line, a defeated, dispirited, disillusioned bunch of real worldly men were suddenly transformed into a dynamic group who were willing to go to prison, who were even willing to die, willing to certainly be beaten for proclaiming that a dead body was alive. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do we feel that having a dead body in their possession would bring about a transformation that was based upon a lie? An enormous lie. They'd stolen the body, but yet these men were prepared to die for a dead body. doesn't make sense. There are those who would say, well, the authorities took the body. 
took the body probably to stop them making a shrine or, or something like that. Well, if they took the body, when they were preaching, why didn't they produce the body? Why didn't they just say, these men, this is a lie that they're proclaiming that he's risen from the dead? Here's the body. But there ain't no body. Because that body had risen. And he was alive. Hallelujah. A fourth theory. All the appearances of Jesus. He appeared to many people over a period of about six weeks. To individuals, to little groups, to large groups, to one group of over 500 at one time. They were just hallucinations. These were supposed to be the same hallucination experienced by different people and different groups of people at different times. And one group of 500 were all hallucinated at the same time, experiencing the same hallucinations. And then suddenly, six weeks later, all these hallucinations had stopped. Because the one who was risen and was alive and now gone back to heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The devil is not happy that Jesus is alive. But he's run out of theories. And the theory is either just absolutely stupid or make no sense whatever. He is risen. Amen. Amen. So, so let's look at some of the immediate results, effects, impacts of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just reading little bits from different accounts in the scriptures. Matthew 28 verses 8 and 9 says this. The two Marys departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. Tell his disciples what? He wasn't there. He was risen. He's alive. And behold, Jesus met them. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful? <laughs> Greetings. Good morning. You having a nice day? It was just the resurrected Lord, that's all. Hallelujah. They said greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Worshipped. The resurrection provoked worship. The worship of Jesus had not up to that point been a general pattern of the disciples. Their hearts, as it were, were not filled with worship. There were things they couldn't understand. But the first thing these, two, these saw when they saw the risen Lord was to worship him. You know, as we've sung these songs tonight, my heart has been touched. I just feel, I just want to worship this Lord. I stood there with my hands up and I could just see thousands, millions around me with their hands up. And there's Jesus just stood on a platform. He can't address the crowd because of the worship. The worship that's going up. You know, if we can get this resurrection in our hearts, we will become worshippers. You know, people regularly have worship seminars. 
What on earth do we want to worship seven hour for? <laughs> Who's going to teach me to worship the Lord? If what Jesus has done for me can't provoke me to worship, there's something wrong. If the resurrected Lord can't provoke worship out of my heart, no seminar's going to do it. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So one effect we find of the resurrection is the disciples were provoked to worship. Second one, a reading from a, I don't know, it's a BBE, British Bible edition. Luke 24, verse 12. Peter got up and went to the place where the body had been put. And looking in, he saw nothing but linen cloths. Linen cloths. And he went to his house full of wonder at what had taken place. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The resurrection provoked a great sense of wonder in the disciples' hearts. We talk about signs and wonders all the time. Please, hear my heart right. Somebody's suddenly healed of a headache. It's a wonder. I'll tell you what, the greatest wonder that's ever been is that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen. That Jesus went to the cross. That Jesus went into that grave. And he's not here. He is risen. That provokes us to wonder, what's it about? What's it like? Wow. Wow. Wonder provoked. Luke 24, verse 32, God's Word translation. These were the two people on the Emmaus Road later that day on that first Easter Sunday. A bit discouraged, they were walking back from Jerusalem to Emmaus and Jesus drew alongside them and they didn't recognize him. And he says, the two on the Emmaus Road said to each other afterwards, weren't we excited when he talked with us on the road? And opened up the meaning of the scriptures for us. Weren't we excited? Many versions say, didn't our hearts burn within us? Wow, something was happening. They were so encouraged and so excited. They couldn't wait to get back to Jerusalem quick enough to tell the disciples that they'd seen the Lord. Because when we know that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is risen from the dead. It causes our hearts to be encouraged. It causes us to be excited. Oh, dear. You know, I go to India, as many of you know, on a number of occasions. You can go to shops, and in these shops you can buy a little temple, and you can have a God in your own house. You can sometimes buy a God. The Bible talks about those that... Chop a tree down and they put half of it on one side for firewood and with the other half they make an idol. And then the Bible says, and what are you going to do with it? To get it anyway, you've got to put it on a barrel and wheel it around. But we're talking about one that's risen from the dead and he is alive. That encourages us, not a lump of wood. The only way a lump of wood ever encourages me is when fire needs a bit more coal on it. Put a bit of wood on Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Excitement in imparted. <laughs> oh, God. 
you know, we need to get excited, don't we? We need to get excited. Yeah. We need to go over the top. Some people won't come to churches like ours because we go over the top. I know somebody, when I, when I was in Leicester once, and this chap joined the church, he, he, was, a, he was a significant character in the com- country. He worked for a major publishing company. And uh, in those days, we had a platform. There were a lot of people in Leicester Fellowship at that time, probably 450. And as elders, we'd stand on the platform, and I would do my usual trick, dancing and all that sort of thing. And one day, I was fellowshipping with this fella, and I said, what was it that brought you to, Ed, uh, to Leicester Christian Fellowship? He says, well, I looked at you dancing on the platform. And I thought, if what's happening here can do that to him, I'm stopping. <laughs> we need to get excited. Yes. You know, I see people, God speaks a word of prophecy. And somebody will get up and go to the toilet. <laughs> I can't believe it, God's speaking. Okay, it's toilet break now, the Lord's speaking stimulates excitement. Jesus is alive. And at the very least, he's going to put a smile on our faces. Glory. Hallelujah. I spent all day practicing putting a smile on my face. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let's look at the next one. John 20. Jesus said to Mary Magdalene, Woman, why are you weeping? And whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, oh, Mary. I think I'd love to hear in that same voice, George. George, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. The bottom had dropped out of Mary's world. Mary was totally dispirited. She was so grief-stricken at the loss of her Lord that she didn't recognize him. You know, there's nothing that rekindles hope in the arts of the Christian, than the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus will rekindle hope. You know, whatever it is that you're facing at this time, whatever it is that's causing you to, as it will lose that that sense of well-being and and become dispirited, just spend a time focusing on the fact that he's not here, he's alive. He's risen from the dead, Jesus is alive. There's a man in heaven, there's a man in heaven. Jesus is a man. He didn't go back to something. He's a man in heaven. He's alive. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. And he rose again on the third day. And that will rekindle hope in every heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. They've gone fishing. Nothing wrong with going fishing. I mean, some people might criticize what they're doing going fishing. Nothing wrong with going fishing. I mean, I don't particularly want to go fishing. But, you know, might have got to walk. Might have just gone to 
near the Red Lion at Burnsell and paddled. Gone for a paddle. But they'd gone fishing. And they hadn't been very successful. Anyway, they came to land and they recognized Jesus there. And he said to them, come and have breakfast. <laughs> Sometimes I get a telephone call from a fella. I think her husband, I think his wife's called Julie. George, you want to come and have breakfast? Shall we go and have breakfast? Jesus did that. Come and have breakfast. Now, none of his disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread. What bread? The bread that he'd got from shop. And he gave it to them. And so with the fish. What fish? Not the fish that they'd caught. In fact, they hadn't caught any until they got near land. And he worked a miracle for them. He'd been fishing. Whether he'd been baking bread, I don't know. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. As I looked at that, I thought, you know, the resurrection of Jesus results in a new dimension of fellowship between Jesus and his disciples. He provided the food and he prepared it. I don't read that anywhere else. He prepared breakfast for them. There's nothing in one sense more intimate than just sitting over a meal and fellowshipping together and sharing together. And this just wasn't to me. It wasn't even a meal provided by a little lad that Jesus miraculously, miraculously stretched. It was a meal that he'd prepared. And the risen Lord, the risen Lord Jesus wants to have a measure of fellowship with you like you've never experienced before. Some of us need to sit, as it were, at the table of the Lord. He says he spreads a table for us before our enemies. We need to somehow sit there and start to enjoy this fellowship that's on a totally different level. This wasn't the fellowship of a mate. This was a fellowship of the risen Lord who had baked bread and caught fish for them. Ah, George, I don't see how you can say baked bread. I don't know. He didn't say where he got it from. So I'm using a bit of holy imagination. But I do believe that one fact of the, the resurrection of Jesus is that we can engage in a deeper measure of fellowship and intimacy with Jesus. Next one. This is the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul saw the, saw the resurrected Lord. He described himself as one born out of due time. He saw the risen Lord. He went on his way. He went on his way to persecute and to throw Christians into prison. He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He says, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. It wasn't long after the resurrection when Jesus commissioned his disciples. He told them to go into all the world 
to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, and preach the message of the kingdom of God. Preach the gospel of salvation. And Paul's first encounter with the resurrected Lord, it was an encounter that would end in being commissioned. It says, go into the city, and I'll tell you what you're going to do. And if you read the story, you'll find that Jesus prepared a disciple, Ananias, to receive uh, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul. And he said, I've chosen him to go to the Gentiles. The resurrection of Jesus is the atmosphere of commission. You want to serve the Lord? You want to know what the Lord wants you to do? Why don't you just... Get into that empty tomb. Why don't you just allow the Spirit of God to fill your heart with the fact that He is alive? Because it's in the resurrection that the atmosphere of commission exists. Matthew 28, verse 16 and 17. Six weeks, six weeks. Of Jesus popping up all over the place. To men and women, singles, couples, groups, 500 at one time. He's about now to return to heaven. Six weeks after the resurrection. And the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Because that's what resurrection does, it provokes worship. But some doubted. But some doubted. The resurrection is not simply a base, it's not simply based on physical facts. A physically empty tomb. A physical appearance of Jesus. It's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. If you know the scriptures, you know the time when when Thomas came on that second week, he'd missed Jesus the first time. And when he came and Jesus said, put your finger in the holes in my hands. Put your hand in the hole in my side. And he said, my Lord and my God. And he says, Thomas, you're blessed. But how much more blessed are those who haven't seen and yet believe? Even those who'd seen, they'd seen. But they still hadn't got the faith to understand that they're seeing was a resurrection issue. It's a resurrection issue. Do you know we can see with our eyes as much as we want. We can go to as many healing conferences as we want. We can see millions saved. But the bottom line is the faith in our hearts. And for these disciples, you know, I look at that. I am amazed. But I might have been one of those who doubted. The resurrection is a faith issue. I put on Facebook today, maybe semi-provocatively, I said, I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I know he did. I know he did. My belief has transposed into knowing. There's no shadow of doubt. I know he is alive and is involved with me every day of my life. So there were these various immediate effects. Worship was provoked. 
a sense of wonder created, excitement and encouragement imparted, hope rekindled into the heart of a woman who was totally distraught, brought into a new level of fellowship with the Lord Jesus, a place of being commissioned. And we all want to be commissioned. Some of us might tremble at the thought of it, but there's a great fulfillment and satisfaction in it. But it's all an issue of faith. I want to close by looking a little bit more at two significances of the resurrection. It says this in Romans 4, verse 24 and 5, a translation written by a man called West, Woost, West. It says, righteousness is ours who place our faith upon the one who raised Jesus our Lord out from among the dead who was delivered up to death because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Most translations say he was raised for our justification. He wasn't. He was raised because of our justification. Because on that cross, Jesus bore the sins of the whole world. He bore every sin of every man and woman, past, present and future. And he bore the punishment for that sin. He paid the price for every sin. And every sin that can be leveled against any person, Jesus dealt with on that cross. Now that meant that death had no claim on anybody. The grave had no claim on anybody because the sin were dealt with. The full account was paid. And therefore, death and the grave could not hold Jesus. And when he rose, he rose because we were justified. He, we were justified before he rose. He rose because we were justified. Through what Jesus had done on the cross, we had been brought into a, a right living Perfect relationship with God. Resurrection affirms our right relationship with God. Jesus was raised because sins had been dealt with. Mankind had been declared righteous. Death had no claim or hold on Jesus, nor on any man or woman living or had previously died. The partner to crucifixion, a partner to any execution in those days was to write a little note and put on what the man was being put to death for. And I guess, it doesn't actually say, I guess that that also happened at Jesus' crucifixion. Because when you read Colossians, it says Jesus has taken away, he's taken away that notice, he's been dealt with. He died. He ripped the notice off. He says, there, it's done. You can't bring any charge against any of them again. Sin has been dealt with. And because of that, he rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Every time you think about Jesus risen from the dead, realize that you have been made the righteousness of Christ. I somehow think Jeff's been talking about this. That the resurrection is the affirmation 
of the fact that we have received the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he rose from the dead. There was nothing to hold him there. It had been done. It had been done. Whatever you're feeling guilty about, it's been done. It's been dealt with. Satan wants you to sit in that guilt. But Jesus died to set you free. And he's here tonight to set you free tonight. From that guilt. From that shame. From that sin that has no right to hold you. Has no claim on you. Jesus rose from the dead demonstrating that. Amen. It says this in Acts 13, verse 32 and 33. We bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus. What God promised, he has fulfilled in the resurrection. As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today, I have begotten you. What it's saying is that what God says about him being the son, God did in the resurrection. Now, if you go back to that psalm, Psalm 2 verse 6 says this. As for me, God says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. The significance of this phrase, you are my son, I have begotten you. The significance is, it is to do with Jesus' coronation. Psalm 2 is the prophetic statement concerning the coronation of the Lord Jesus where he says I have set my king on Zion my holy hill and in the resurrection we see as it were the coronation of the Lord Jesus Christ a week before we see the kingly march into Jerusalem a march initiated by the Lord Jesus himself completely fulfilling the scripture and marching to Jerusalem. Then he went to the cross. He defeated his enemies and then he completed and he rose from the dead, went to his coronation. God's king is on Zion his hill. King of kings, Lord of lords. The completion of the kingly procession that he began on Palm Sunday. He rose from the dead and he went to the throne. A psalm says, lift up your heads, O your gates, and be lifted up your everlasting doors. And let the King of glory come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. He is the King of glory. And the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is saying, he is crowned. King of kings and Lord of lords. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, this is the king that God has set upon Zion's hill. He is the king over all. And he has authority, all authority given to him. All this is stated in that resurrection act. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. What is a king? I understand the word king comes from 
the verb, the one who is able. The king is the one who can. Kings nowadays can't, but kings in those days could. They could do whatever they wanted. And the king of kings and the lord of lords is the one who can do absolutely anything. He has all authority. No demon can stand against him. No sickness can stand before him. There is no hurdle, no obstacle too great. There is nothing too hard for the one who went into death in his kingly procession, defeated his enemies, rose from the dead, and was crowned King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. This is my son. Today I have begotten you. You are the king that I have set on my hill, God says. And he's a man. He's a man. He's a man. He's not an angel. He's not a spirit. He's a man. The king of kings is a man. He's a king, as it were, in the human realm. He's a man. He's got, he's got a body like our body, but it's a bit different because it's been transformed. But we're going to get a body like it. But tonight, as we think about the resurrection, we're thinking about the king who can.